awareness and discussion is happening about mental health issues, burnout, etc., etc., and you know the fact that people are talking about this in a really healthy way, and those stigmas are starting to be peeled away is absolutely awesome. Yet, awareness is one thing, and action is is something else. When your living is being creative, and you have that anxiety of being faced with that blank piece of paper every single morning. To constantly be in that anxiety corridor, that's when it becomes very dangerous. Everyone always cites Sherlock Holmes, right? You know, when, when Sherlock Holmes had, had his, you know, the, the absolute crux of, of the mystery to solve, and then he'd disappear off to the opera one evening, and Watson was like, oh my God, what are you doing? How, how, you know, we need to be sitting here and working. He's like, no, I am going to work. I've put all the information into my subconscious, and now I just need to let it do its thing when we can let our brains do the hard work for us and then all we have to do is maybe craft and massage a little bit i think that's when the really nice work comes through laura buckingham is that how i pronounce this correctly that is very impressive yes top marks well <laughs> excellent and who are you and what do you do Yeah, of course. So um, my story is, so I'm a Brit, as you can probably guess from the accent, and I'm actually sitting here in London at the moment. Um, I, I'm a copywriter. I've been working in advertising for, oh my God, probably about 20 years. First as more of like a strategist and account handler um, in London. And then at about the age of 30, I decided I wanted to dive into more of the creative side. So I became a copywriter um, and found my way falling in love with a Swedish guy in London. And then five years later, we moved over to Stockholm. Um, and that's kind of where we've settled and created a whole new life, actually, when you now have a kid together. Um, and we're just exploring so many new things and every day just feels like a whole new new opportunities and new connections are happening all over Sweden. So it's, we're in a really, really, really happy place at the moment, which is awesome. And I met Matt, the founder of Mindburst, through a mutual client and, and friend of ours. And when he told us about what he had in mind, this is probably about a year ago now, we were like, oh my God, we need to be involved in this. Um, so he's very kindly let us get on board and Yeah, so we're just we're helping him with the branding, the design, the copy, and we'll do a little bit of kind of mark on strategy with him. And really, really excited to see. It feels like this is just kind of the tipping point of something that could be absolutely massive. Wonderful. I I, I am a huge fan of uh, of the design and everything. Actually, the branding. Okay. Ah, well, I would it love. That. We can't take. <laughs> We, we can't take credit for it. We, we've inherited some and then kind of um, developed some of our own. And so I think somewhere in between, we'll, we'll kind of net out in a really good place. But that's really nice to hear. Thank you. That's very generous. So tell me, what, what is uh, agency life in London like? Oh, okay. Well, do you know what? It, it is amazing and it is brilliant, but it is hard. It is really hard. And, you know, there's this expression, if you're tired of London, you're tired of life. Yeah. A lot of people say that. And we got to the time where we went, do you know what? I'm not tired of life, but I just don't think I can hack this anymore because it is it is incredibly exciting and the opportunities are so ripe, but it is hard. Most people commute, first of all. So you've probably got about like an hour and a half commute. And as you know, commuting in London is quite a different thing from commuting in Stockholm. And the days are long and it is so fierce and so competitive. 
And I think the, you know, that little imposter syndrome monster is very, very big in, in the London creative industries because you know that there is a queue of really, really hungry people outside your agency door who probably can do your work better than you do. And, and I, I really feel that when your living is being creative and you have that anxiety of being faced with that blank piece of paper every single morning, to constantly be in that anxiety corridor, which sometimes can actually kind of fuel you and drive you through the creative process. And I think we definitely need that. But when that corridor tightens and tightens and tightens, and you are just kind of overwhelmed by this anxiety of, I'm not good enough, but I've got a deadline in half an hour and I don't have any ideas and I'm just terrible and someone's going to find out that I'm sort of rubbish and I don't really know what I'm doing. And we've got this meeting and I can't present and I'm going to let my partner down and oh my God, blah, blah. And it becomes such a creative block that I think when you can't see past that, you just go, oh, my God, you know, that this in industry, which I adore and I can thrive on, is now actually starting to take away my very creative juices. And I think you kind of get trapped in this cycle of I can't actually do what I know that I'm really good at. And then, of course, all the doubts and the kind of self-esteem issues come in, et cetera, et cetera. So when when we moved, decided to move to Sweden, I was so amazed at the difference in the pace of life. Um, you know, and I've been working in, in big agencies in, in Stockholm. But the, of course, the anxiety is still there. But I really feel that the pace is a little lighter. I think that the general awareness and the openness around mental health, about stress, about work-life balance. I know it's such a cliche, but, you know, as an outsider looking at the this, this Swedish model and you look at that work-life balance, it is just so refreshing. And I just felt that when I moved to Stockholm, I kind of suddenly had the time and the headspace and the energy to, to do the job I've always wanted to do. And finally, there was a little bit of time and breathing space around me to really settle and be creative and have that time to have the ideas let the inspiration come to put a seed in the back of your mind and just let it sink and give things over the overnight test and really collaborate with people and create better work so I, I feel that the pace and the intensity between London and Stockholm is um is extraordinary and it's interesting then when you see you know the quality of the work coming out of the Nordics and especially the Stockholm agencies at the moment I definitely believe that seems to be working. Yeah, being being uh, in the creative space myself, I I will not uh, judge our own uh, our own quality of work, but I can say that I think uh, after leading a creative agency for a decade, what you said about headspace is so true that you kind of need to have that room to let the ideas come. You can't force ideas in that way. Uh, I don't think, at least not if with the highest quality. No. Yeah, the over, overnight test is not actually a test. It's uh, it's overnight work mm. that you do uh, in the back of your mind, you know. Of course, you know, it's, it's, everyone always cites Sherlock Holmes, right? You know, when, when Sherlock Holmes had, <laughs> had his, you know, the, the absolute crux of, of the mystery to solve. And then he'd disappear off to the opera one evening. And Watson was like, oh my God, what are you doing? How, how, you know, we need to be sitting here and working. He's like, no, I am going to work. I've put all the information into my subconscious. And now I just need to let it do its thing. And the answer is there. I just need to let my brain connect those things in a different way. And, you know, obviously that's what, you know, creativity is to a certain extent. It's, it's, it's finding those unexpected connections between 
perhaps seemingly ordinary subjects or themes or in in my case because I'm a copywriter words that connect in that different way that either create something new or create that tension enough to make you go oh my gosh that's interesting tell me more um but if we're if we don't have that space to kind of let things marinate and just let those kind of mysterious connections form it's very easy to jump in with a oh no that doesn't work that doesn't make sense seen that before that's not good enough but you know just if when we can let our brains do the hard work for us and then all we have to do is maybe craft and massage a little bit i think that's when the really nice work comes through yeah and it's it's much easier to say than than do when you're under a deadline you know and, mm. and uh you just need to get it out uh but it's still very true they've they've done i saw a, a test they've done with uh with mice uh, where they taught mice how to get through a maze and they recorded the sounds. Uh, there was a different sound if they took a left turn or a right turn and the the r- correct way through the maze ended up being like a melody. And then they record kept recording uh, uh, the, the, the mice, um, the, the brain activity of the mice uh, and listening to that melody. And then when the mice went to sleep, you could hear, and this is the spooky part, you could hear the same melody playing but at like 16 times the speed or something like that. So wow. they re- rehearsed while sleeping. You know? Oh my God, I love that. Oh my God, I so need to be that mouse. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the next time your boss says you can't take a power nap, you just quote that mouse. Yeah, too right. I'm so going to use the mouse theory on him next time. <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. Oh, that's a great story. When, when, you, when you are under pressure and, and you, have, you have to come up with a creative idea, how do you how do you go about that? Uh, what's your methodology for that? So my first reaction is obviously to have a huge big panic and go, I can't do this. This is impossible. This is ridiculous. Who gave me this job? Why am I sitting here? Who am I? So I I almost know that I need to let myself go through that panic stage. Um, and I am a big gatherer of information. Um, and I think this is probably what kind of lent me to copywriting in the first place. I really. I work best when I am organized and I have all my facts and I've got all my data and all my resources and my stories because then the actual bringing all of that together to me comes relatively easily if I've got the foundation around me. Um, and, And I do work quite a lot on my own, which I think does help because nobody sees me having this big panic attack and, and flapping and kind of losing, losing my temper about everything. So I think, I've come to acknowledge that I kind of in pressure, I go through these bizarre stages and now I recognize them for what they are and don't let them distract me. When I'm working either with an art director or part of a bigger team, I actually think I perform better under pressure. And then I like to assume the role of the, the peacekeeper and the morale bringer to the bigger group. So it's interesting to see, I think, how people's dynamics and roles and how they respond to things like pressure change in different dynamisms. Um, so I, I think I actually deal with pressure a lot better when I feel responsible for other people. I almost want to go, I'm not going to let you be exposed to this pressure. So I will I will be the one that uh, makes sure that everybody's OK. Have we got the time? Have we got resources? What is it that we need to get through this? And, and like I said at the beginning, you know, I think as, as a creative, you, you do have to accept that that, that pressure or that anxiety tunnel, you know, it, it is there to push you forward. And I think pressure becomes 
a tool that when you're more familiar with it, you can actually recognize it for what it was and turn it into something that really drives you forward. You know, if, if, if you weren't conscientious about your job, if you didn't really care about getting the best result out, both for your own ego to a certain extent, but also because you really believe in the product or the brand or the client that you're working with, then it becomes actually a massive motivator. Um, and I think a lot of creatives are, by our very nature, quite good at procrastinating um, because, of course, that amazing idea will always come tomorrow. So I think pressure in terms of time is essential in what we do. But I think it's it's learning to recognize it, learning to use use it in a way that motivates us rather than inhibits us. Um, but obviously, that's a really fine line. And sometimes we can control that situation. But, you know, I realize that a lot of the time you can't. And, and when it's relentless, when that is your every day and really you know in advertising you know it's a seven day a week job and you never really switch off you I think it's that pressure when it's constantly on that's when it becomes very dangerous because you never get to escape it when you can when you can ride that pressure wave and then have that pause and that kind of recharging moment in between then it's brilliant but when you're constantly operating on that kind of very intense level then then that's when we I think we start getting into kind of the burnout place and and people start doubting their own worth. And I think once that doubt creeps in, then you're in quite a dangerous place. You are in a dangerous place, but also because you start criticizing your ideas and uh, and um, throwing away ideas prematurely. Mm. Uh, I, I saw this wonderful interview with Brian Eno, the legendary music producer. And he said that what people need to understand is that beautiful things come out of nothing. And I, I thought that was such a beautiful thing to say because that's exactly how it is. They come from nothing and the first drafts, the first ideas are sometimes ugly and bad and terrible and you have to kind of go through them in order to get to the beautiful and the good ones and then those are still kind of ugly and then you start crafting it and start developing it and eventually it turns out to be something fantastic. Yeah. And you need to kind of recognize that you are on that, you're going to need to pass those steps kind of exactly and then i think you know the the, the longer you are and, you know as, as anything it, it's a it's a process that it trains it's creative muscles that's trained and it's recognizing kind of you know where you are in the process and you know it, nobody would well I'm, i'm sure there are some people out there but you know if i think if you don't look at your first piece of work and go you know this is absolutely terrible <laughs> then we probably don't deserve to be in the industry um you know then i think that's when we should all pack up and go home but it's interesting isn't it you go through that you know this is terrible i'm sure this is really bad oh okay maybe we've got something oh my god this is really really good and then it starts again it's like no it's not it's really really bad <laughs> um, yeah. but that roller that roller coaster of emotions is um i don't think it ever goes away you know i've been doing this for, for 20 years and i still find it kind of exhilarating and exhausting to be on that. Is it good? Is it bad? Do I love it? Do they not love it? Uh, does the client love it? Has it worked? Will they buy it? And it's sometimes you think, why do I put myself through this, this up and down and this relentless roller coaster of, of emotions and anticipation and fear and anxiety? And then you just go, well, it's because I really care. And, you know, when, the kinds of brands that, that that my partner and I are working with today 
we really, really care about all of the clients that we have. Maybe that's like we totally believe in the product or we're absolutely fascinated by the brand story or the client is is just such an amazing superstar. We really want to support them. And I feel that when you can, when you find a brand that you can really align your values with theirs, it really helps give purpose and meaning to that roller coaster of anxiety. Because at least when you're you're sitting there three o'clock in the morning staring at that blank bit of paper, you feel that there is a purpose to it. And I think that eases you on and I think that motivates you because you really just want to do something good for a good reason. That is uh, that is so true. I mean, there should almost be a rule that you shouldn't be working with things that you don't believe in, right? Well, yes, and I would say to that because I was thinking about this before. You know, <laughs> as a copywriter, you know, you have to, you know, the, the whole point, right, is that you you adopt a brand's voice and you can kind of chameleon yourself into any brand's tone and to write really persuasively and convincingly about any product. But when your heart isn't in it, you know, then I think, you know, whether you have those feelings of I've totally sold out or what's the point or what am I doing with my life? This is so ridiculous. But so you're having that kind of that level of value doubt. So then when the pressure comes on as well, you're like, my God, you know, what, what am I doing this for? But, you know, that is that is the nature of of the business. And it is a business and this is a job and it's a job we've all nobody's forced us into it. Um, and of course, you've got to pay the bills. So sometimes you do you do work with those clients. But I've we're in the most lucky position now where, as I say, we we're just able to align with these brands where we're genuinely behind it. And the difference that makes is absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. I think it's, um, I mean, of course, I've I've worked with brands at times that I don't 100% align with, but that's, uh, you lose the sense of meaning with your work in a way. You can still have artistic meaning in it or, you know, pride in your craft, but you lose the sense of meaning in what you're actually doing for the world. Uh, And it's a huge difference. The times, you know, when you work with something, you feel this is actually making the world better in some sense. Oh, then you feel great you know oh for sure and you know and I don't think it always has to be for a you know for a charity or an NGO or something you know it it could just be you know for the most beautiful product or there's this you know extraordinary story that you just go my god this has to be told in some way and I and I think you know it was was about 10 years ago everyone started talking about okay that everyone's got to have a brand purpose and there was a whole you know Simon Sinek start with why and and you know I I do absolutely advocate that but I think there's a difference between having a brand purpose and being a brand with a purpose and finding that purpose that you as a supplier a consultant or whoever it is you're going to work with actually goes yes I can raise my hand and go yeah this this feels right to me. I can totally collaborate with you on this. I don't have to have any kind of internal debate about, is this the right thing? Does this kind of conflict with my values in any way? Um, and it's, I, I, I just find that it makes for such a more fulfilling relationship. And I, I just feel that we get such better work out as well. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, in a way, there are products that don't save the world, but 
they don't destroy the world either, uh, you know. And uh, a lot of brands, I think, are part of creating our own identity in in front of other people and and, and to ourselves also, mm. you know. And it kind of creates this sense of belonging uh, to a group, which I think is very human, uh, you know, a very human thing, uh, which shouldn't be uh, just looked upon as something shallow. I think it's a it's a quite profound part of who we are actually you know as humans oh god completely and you know when, you, when you're looking in you know i'm going to make some massive sweeping sweeping statements now but you know when you look at a kind of very fragmented and kind of desocialized society and you know whether you look at it from a loneliness lens or an aging population lens or whatever you know that that anything that can bring people together in some kind of mobilized way uh, whether it is a okay, you can hold a mirror up to me, and I recognise myself in some way, or whether it's I aspire to be in that kind of group, or whether it's something that actually physically does bring people together, you know, then that stuff is really, really powerful, and that could be any product, any any service, anything. But it's, I think it's, it's just, it's finding the way just to do something that you can believe in, and even if there are disagreements, you you get the feeling that you know the, the overall view is all looking in the same direction. Yeah, and I think uh, you know that that's part of uh, of the work we do is uh, is uh, we should be proud of that. Actually, you know, if I've, I see some brands, a lot of the identity work that we are doing uh, is uh, is creating smaller groups, kind of. You know, mm. we see the world is is uh, really going in a polarized direction where you're either with us or against us kind of and uh, there's one friend of mine I talked to who uh, works in public service and we discussed the role of public service in uh, in society and we said well maybe it's as simple as they are the ones that their job is to bring us together when the rest of the the world is trying to tear us apart or at least kind of polarizes in, in uh, different directions and that, that that's kind of a beautiful thing for them to be working on you know yeah uh, and s- some of the bigger brands could have that role as well it's almost, almost like a bonfire oh absolutely absolutely and you know you know i'm sitting here in in the uk watching that polarization just go to extreme levels because of all of the craziness over brexit here and and you really feel that sense of us and them and right and wrong and me and you. And it's, it's, I've never really noticed that before. Um, and then I come back to visit and, you know, tensions are so high and you do have this kind of this real sense of extreme polarization. And yet, interestingly, small grassroots community groups, clubs, little kind of collectives are really mobilizing and doing amazing work, okay, in very, very small grassroots levels. But there's that real feeling of people wanting to do things, kind of taking matters into their own hands and go, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be separated or be forced to go into one camp or the other because of what's happening with the political situation from a social selective. And then we all need to be as tight as we possibly can be. And I think any brands that can either support that align with that enable that in a genuine way rather than just kind of like a you know a, a greenwashing version of it finding just finding gateways to interest of of genuine relevance you know and that's that's not always easy to do but it it is there and i think it's 
it's remembering that you're not advertising. You're actually talking to real people. Yeah, and uh, I think it's so easy to forget the power of what we're doing. I mean, I had a friend of mine who who just started a podcast and and she told me that, well, I only have 3,000 listeners. And I paused for a second. I said, well, 3,000 listeners? (laughs) Can you even imagine 3,000 people in front of you? Uh, you know, and that that's a small podcast, maybe, you know, but it's a huge oh amount gosh. of people. And if you look at the work that we are doing with, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people, and you almost can't think about that with, you know, and keep working because it's, it's so huge. I mean, your text that you're writing will be out there for millions of people to read and judge. And, you know, that kind of stress... Um, for me, I, I rarely think about it, but when I do, I can feel that, well, that's, that's quite big. You know? mm. Do you ever feel that sense of like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> this text that I just wrote is going to be read by everybody? <laughs> Given that every day somebody tells me, oh, don't worry, nobody will read the copy anyway, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yes, of course. And, and I'm, I'm still haunted by... In my first ever job, I I don't know what was going through my head. I decided to change the spelling in a headline of an ad that had been signed off just before I sent it to print because um, I thought there was a typo and I changed the spelling of it. And obviously that went out <laughs> <laughs> on like national national full page print all over the UK. Um, and I actually still feel that burning shame feeling now when I think about, you know, the, the amount of people that saw that and that was my responsibility and, and the damage that it caused to the brand and to my company, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's 20 years ago and I could probably still throw up thinking about that. Um, so, yeah, that was probably the last time I really thought about the, the enormity. I, I actually try not to think like that because I've, I've been trained with that, have the customer in mind and almost write to an individual you know, picture that person and, and talk to them on an individual level. So um, that sense of, oh my gosh, a million people have, have read my whatever, um, doesn't phase me actually as much because I'd rather, I'm more worried about that one archetypal customer reading it and going, oh my God, this is rubbish, rather than a million people. But now I will, so thanks for putting that in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm supposed to, mind burst is supposed to be about helping people and here I, I am. Know. <laughs> ruining your creative life (laughs) but anyway this was a great conversation is there anything that you think that you would want to talk about that i've left out i think you know in in terms of what we're trying to do with with mind burst is you know really there's so much talk you know it's absolutely brilliant that awareness and discussion is happening about mental health issues burnout etc etc and you know the fact that people are talking about this in a really healthy way and those stigmas are starting to be peeled away is absolutely awesome yet awareness is one thing and action is is something else and you know what what I just love about Mindburst is that we're really trying to arm people with with positive action things they can takeaway so whether it's a tool whether it's an idea whether it's an action plan whether it's a contact from somebody that there's somebody awesome that they've met or whether it's a, a a new technique they've learned themselves hands-on you know we really want people to actually be able to go away with a positive action in their hands of 
even if it is this one small thing that I can implement either in in my workplace or in my family unit or within my friend group or whatever, whoever I contact with, that might just make one little change. And hopefully that will have this kind of ripple effect because I really think we need to kind of, you know, stand up and take more of this kind of activism role. And it's like, no, we, we need to do stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to myself. And uh, I think uh, it's going to be a very exciting event for a lot of people. So that will be great. And I hope to see you there as well. Oh, absolutely. I will be there <laughs> all 20, uh, 48 hours. And definitely for the party at the end, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking your time to uh, have this conversation with me. Yeah, for sure. Okay, right. thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. For tickets to the event and more information about Mindburst, visit mindburst.se.